We are continuing through the events of the last week of Jesus's life, and admittedly, last week and this week, we're out of order. Uh, we will be um, talking about the events just following uh, what we call the triumphal entry or what happened on Palm Sunday today, uh, and then we'll be dealing with Palm Sunday itself uh, on Palm Sunday, which is in a couple weeks. But today I want to look at uh, the events immediately following that in Mark chapter 11. And you'll notice, if you listened carefully uh, when this scripture was read, that Jesus entered Jerusalem and went into the temple. He looked around, but since it was already late, he went back to Bethany. But the next day, he returns to the temple and on the way sees a fig tree, looks to see if it has fruit. It doesn't, so he curses it and then goes to the temple and... Um, overturns the tables, tells people to get out, uh, expresses his frustration and anger in that temple. I think verse 11 is there on purpose, as is every verse of scripture. But verse 11 tells us that Jesus went into the temple the night before, after everyone had declared him uh, Messiah and shouted, Hosanna, save us, save us. And saw what he saw and may have had a prayer filled but sleep less night as he thought about the situation in the temple. And when he came back, he was ready. He was ready to set things right. So what we're going to look at is a curse, a court, and a cause. First, the curse, the curse of this poor innocent fig tree. I have dis been disturbed by the story for many years, and I think it was an Ikea commercial that helped me understand. Uh, it was a while ago. I can't even remember if it was Ikea or not, but the commercial focused on people's sadness when uh, an item of theirs was broken or they had to th or they were choosing to throw something away and the sadness was linked to the idea that this poor item had feelings and they didn't want to hurt this old mug's feelings by throwing it away and the commercial of course trying to sell you more mugs was helpful to me to realize that mug doesn't have feelings those things don't have the same response to rejection or whatever that we do. So Jesus was, was not being mean, really, to curse a tree. We cut down trees in our yards if they get overgrown or start uh, losing their life. So it, it's not like Jesus was being mean. But this um, fig tree incident is an illustrated parable. It, it wasn't using words so much as the image, what happens, and he uses that tree to tell another story. And you'll notice that the, the fig tree is cursed before he goes into the temple, then he goes into the temple, then he comes out of the temple, and that's when they notice that the fig tree has withered. This tree is more than a tree. It represents what's going on in the temple. So the curse is an acted parable. It points elsewhere. 
And what it points to is the court. Picture it. Jerusalem, 30-something A.D. Jesus walks into the place that was set aside for women and non-Jewish people and the infirmed, the disabled. It was set aside for them for their place of prayer. The Jewish men and those of advantage had another place, a place much quieter, a place much more prayerful in which they could pray. But Jesus enters this place that's supposed to be for prayer, and it is more of a bustling marketplace. Picture the um, stock exchange with all that going on, all the trading that is going on, and all the energy focused on those material things. And that is what we find here. Josephus, an early historian, a historian of the time around Jesus, said that one year during Passover, 225,000 sheep were sold in the temple. Now, if you tried to count 225,000 sheep to try to go to sleep, you'd be awake for three days just counting them. And that's besides the doves and all the, the ch changing of money. People came from other places and had uh, different coins. They needed uh, certain coins uh, to purchase what they needed for their sacrifices. So they had to change the money. They had to get something to sacrifice. It seems like what these people were doing was perfectly fine and even necessary. And it's important to realize that Jesus is not so much concerned about what is happening, but where it is happening. It was happening in the place where foreigners, Gentiles, women, and the disabled were supposed to be able to pray, supposed to find sanctuary, and there was no sanctuary to be found. Jesus is angry that the system that was supposed to bring people to God and mediate their relationship with God had become so self-serving that a relationship with God was impossible to find in the midst of this melee. And he says, and this is very important to notice what he says, he says, my house will be called a house of prayer for all nations. But there is no place for prayer. And not only is there no place for prayer, the house that is for all nations has become exclusionary. People cannot find a place to pray there. Certain people cannot find a place. So we, um, when Jesus says, my house will be called a house of prayer for all nations, uh, he's referring to a, a passage in Isaiah 56. And I'm going to read that passage now. For this is what the Lord says. To the eunuchs who keep my Sabbaths, who choose what pleases me and hold fast to my covenant, to them I will give within my temple and its walls a memorial and a name. Better than sons and daughters, I will give them an everlasting name that will endure forever and foreigners who bind themselves to the Lord to minister to him to love the name of the Lord and to be his servants, all who keep the Sabbath without desecrating it and who hold fast to my covenant, these I will bring to my holy mountain and give them joy in my house of prayer. Their burnt offerings and sacrifices will be accepted on my altar, for my house will be called a house of prayer for all nations. 
And what was happening was exactly the opposite of what God desired for his house, for this temple. God made a special place for the eunuchs, the outcasts of society. God made a special place for the foreigners, those who were not the advantaged ones of Jewish race. And the system, the very system that was to invite them in, the very place into which they were to be invited, was made a marketplace. And there was no room for them to experience God there. Jesus goes on to say, after he says, my house will be called a house of prayer for all nations, to say, but you have made it a den of robbers. And that comes from Jeremiah chapter 7, verse 9, where he asks, where God asks, will you steal and murder, commit adultery and perjury, burn incense to Baal and follow other gods you have not known, and then come and stand before me in this house which bears my name and say, we are safe, safe to do all these detestable things? Has this house, which bears my name, become a den of robbers to you? Uh, but I have been watching, declares the Lord. People then were using their religious rituals. They're going through the easy motions of churchy stuff to excuse all kinds of other things in their lives, to live one way Monday through Saturday and a whole other way on Sunday morning. This, well, it was Saturday morning for them, but you know what I mean. And you know what I mean because it's very easy for us to do as well. For us to believe in God and, and get from God everything we want from God or we think we want and, and demand from God what we want, but not really be serving God to go through the ritual motions of church and churchiness, but without a real connection with God, without a real desire to serve God and God's purposes. So the cause that Jesus has for us the cause that Jesus had for himself was to redeem creation, to bring the kingdom of God to the earth. And the cause that he has is to be shared with his people. It was to be shared with the people back then, with the rituals God had given them. It, we find it in Old Testament passages, passages in the prophets that this temple was to be used for people outside of the covenant, the covenant relationship that the people of Israel had. The same way that the church is called to reach out to those outside of ourselves, the, those who don't look like us, those who do not have the advantages that we do. And when Jesus would see that we are excluding people or we are so busy with various activities that were not really making time to relate to God, then he would be just as upset with us. Let it not be so, but I'm afraid it is. There's an irony here uh, when the people, and we'll, we'll get into this a lot more in a couple of weeks when we look at Palm Sunday and the expectations of the people and the reality of what Jesus was all about. And, um, 
all of the ironies that accompany that of, of the opposite expectations that the people had than what Jesus was actually doing. And the same thing is true here. There were people in that temple who believed that when the Messiah came, he would push out all the foreigners. He would push out all the undesirables. He would push out all the people that didn't fit and then exalt them, exalt those people who already had the advantage and they would continue to have advantage and further advantage. But Jesus doesn't do that at all. What Jesus does is exactly the opposite. He pushes them out to make room for the foreigners, to make room for those who don't have a place, to make room for those that these folks think of as less desirable, less deserving. And Jesus says, my house will be a house of prayer for all people. Church, let us not create barriers that God wants to destroy. Let us not hold on to privilege that God wants to put aside so that we can welcome others in. Let us not keep people out because they're not like us, but know that God's heart, the heart of Jesus Christ, is for all kinds of people to come to know him, to come to know salvation in him, and to come to trust the promise of the kingdom of God. Jesus's cause is to bring life, and that's why the tree was in trouble. The tree promised fruit, but didn't deliver. Now, Mark makes a point, though. He says, well, it really wasn't the season for figs. And those who uh, try to explain this passage, and, and some of them, uh, I read, actually have fig trees in their yard and say, well, at this stage of a fig tree's life, when, when the leaves come out, there's supposed to be these little pre-fruit nubs that are on there, and you can eat those, and they're a nice snack. So maybe that's what Jesus was looking for, and this tree didn't have them. And so this tree was not providing the life-sustaining um, food that it was intended to provide, and maybe that's why it was cursed. But maybe it doesn't matter. Maybe it's just a tree. And Jesus uses this tree to illustrate what it is when the church or the ritual that was to guide people to God doesn't work. It promises life, but doesn't deliver. The temple structure promised life. It created, God created a space there for people to find him, but it wasn't working. Then Jesus, after cursing the tree, goes into the temple and he begins a destruction process in a sense. It would be wonderful if the temple could be restored to what it was intended but in a sense, it had to be destroyed in order to do that. Jesus, in other places, alluded to himself as the temple of God, the way that people now can enter into uh, relationship with God. He broke the, or he replaced the broken system with a direct root. The system of recurring sacrifices with one once and for all sacrifice for the forgiveness of sins of all kinds of people. And this cause that he desires to share with us, the cause 
of bringing life, which means relationship with God. Jesus said, I come to give life and to give it abundantly. Jesus said, I come to bring eternal life. So are we as a church, are we as believers, wherever we are, bringing life, abundant and eternal in quality and in quantity to the people? Are we sharing with them the promise of life everlasting? Are we illustrating with our own lives the self-sacrificial way that Jesus had to bring this life? Or are we like what the merchants in the temple court were doing, just doing our thing for our gain and ignoring the needs of those around us? Are we bearing fruit? John 15 is a beautiful passage about Jesus saying, without me, you cannot bear fruit. With me, you can bear fruit. But I may need to, the gardener, which is the father, may need to trim you, may need to, to take away things in your life that are um, causing you to be distracted, causing you to not live out the purpose for which you were created, which is to bear fruit for the kingdom of God. And we need to be ready and willing to allow God to do what God needs to do in our lives. We need to be ready and willing to allow God to lift us up so that we can be effective in bearing fruit. And we need to be willing. And that means we need to put aside our own agendas, put aside our belief that uh, our faith is a means to our ends. And this is so characteristic of so much of the church. We pray to God when we need something. We ask God to help us to achieve the goals that we have set for ourselves. But what God calls us to and what Jesus has worked for is so much bigger. God calls us to share the kingdom of God with this world, to bring the promise of life abundant and eternal into this world, and to be willing, as Jesus was, even to sacrifice for that. Not to put our agendas first, but to put God's agenda first, and then to live into what God calls us to do, whether it's something we enjoy doing or something that is challenging. Scott Hazy, one of my favorite um, commentators, uh, challenges the church with this illustration. Just imagine an ambulance screeching up to the doors of an emergency room. The medics haul out a stretcher holding a badly wounded car accident victim, only to find that there was no place for them to go to the ER, since all the trauma rooms had been converted into massage rooms and fitness centers for the already healthy. But this is supposed to be a hospital, a stun paramedic might cry. And hospitals are for the sick. So imagine how much greater the shock would be if a doctor then replied, Oh no, we're more into health care maintenance. The sick really don't fit here. Come to think of it, you may be introducing some blood-borne pathogens and germs right now. Please remove that stretcher before any of our town, our own people catch some hideous disease of the streets. When Jesus came into Jerusalem, the people shouted, Hosanna, which means save us. And what they meant was save us, 
from the foreigners, save us from the rule of the Romans. When we, in two weeks, say Hosanna, we may more appropriately say, save us. Save us from ourselves. Save us from our selfishness. Save us from our desire to put our agendas before yours, O Lord. For we have been given a great cause, a great purpose for which to live. And that is to share the message of the kingdom of God, to share the hope of the glory of God. Let us not shirk our duty, and especially let us not do anything to hold people at bay or to keep them from being able to know God. But the reverse may it be true, that we are actively helping them to find God and his grace.